Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. For the most part, the team at Out of Spec is based in Colorado, and because of our general location, we tend to focus on news in North America, and there's plenty to cover, so I'm not saying that's really a bad thing. We travel overseas when we can, when we're lucky enough to do so, and report on what's happening globally any chance we get. But it is tough at times to get a real good look at what is happening farther away in other countries and the EV business that they have going on over there. The U.S. is certainly a leader in embracing the future of EV, but there is an importance to maintaining a global lens on the industry as well. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Out of Spec podcast. I am your host, Francie. Thank you for joining us today in a concerted effort to shine the spotlight on the global EV space with a European twist. I have invited Sir Martin Lee onto the podcast today to speak with me about the bigger picture at hand. Martin, thank you so much for joining me today. How are things across the pond? Well, it's now autumn in the UK, so we'll see sunshine in maybe April next year. So cloudy uh, in one word, uh, but otherwise great and fantastic to uh, be back on the Outer Spec podcast. Always good to be here. Yes, so happy to have you here. And yeah, I'm sure you're holding on to hope for sunshine in the future, which, you know, I can understand. Luckily, we still have it here. Things are actually still quite warm, which always oh, throws me off a little don't bit. Don't tell me that. Oh, no. Not to rub it in. You know, it's really unpleasant, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so a bit about you is that not only are you head of podcasts at Motorsport, creator of EV News Daily and co-host on the Batteries Included podcast, listeners and viewers, make sure to check all those out if you haven't already or you haven't in a while and but of course also you're a family man so martin tell me how can you do it all Oh, well, no, I can't. So I do it all very badly. Uh, but um, I try and take on far too much and fail miserably nearly all of the time. So, uh, yeah, we've adopted a little baby girl in the last few weeks. Uh, she's about a year and a half old. Uh, so a new addition to our family, uh, which is great to join that and the rescue cats and our little boy who's five years old now. And uh, lots of big transitions to make all around, actually. And uh, uh, it's been a really busy end to the summer, along with all the work stuff that you say. But, yeah, you know, the mo most important stuff is the family 
probably bits and bobs. But yet the EV News Daily podcast is is fast approaching its 2000th edition. It's a daily podcast about electric vehicles that I started well, many, many years ago, whatever that is, divided by 365, uh, because I could tell my wife would glaze over when I talk about EVs. And so I thought, well, I'll go and I'll go and make a podcast and nobody will listen to it. But I'll, she'll get me out here to the shed at the bottom of the garden where I have my studio. And, uh, and, 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 and after a couple of shows, people started tuning in, which was amazing because it's 20 minutes a day about EVs. And of course, that was then and this is now and, and the world has changed and everyone wants to know about electric vehicles and the audience is thankfully still increasing. And it's been uh, a great ride to learn about this once in a hundred year shift in how we get around and how we live our lives. Very cool. Yeah, a daily podcast where you cover a lot of things happening, which is, and you started from, you know, a while ago, which is really cool because this space, of course, has moved at a lot of different paces throughout its history, but you have been a dedicated follower. So nobody I, should do a daily podcast. If anyone's thinking daily, that sounds interesting. It's not. Don't do it because it's seven days a week. So nobody should ever do a daily pod. Five days a week would be madness. Yes, <laughs> and you're doing it all with a family and no, all fine. the other things on your place. So yeah, very <laughs> impressive. And I do, I do love the work that you do. And something that sparked our interest in getting Martin onto the Out of Spec podcast today was a recent story, another record-breaking headline, actually, wherein Tesla announced that they had sold their one millionth Tesla in Europe. And they tweeted this out on October 20th, just this past week, and Tesla noted that this feat took 14 years since its first delivery of Roadsters to Europe. And now to put that into perspective a little bit, uh, Tesla also tweeted the month prior on September 16th that you can see here, I'm bringing up the tweets if you are tuning in online, mm. that they had produced their 5 millionth EV, which was the new Model 3 Highland EV out of the Gigafactory Shanghai. Another tremendous feat since they produced their 1 millionth car back in 2020, which happened to be a Model Y. So for some quick reasoning that we can work this out, Europe seems to be home to 20% of Tesla's EVs. So, Martin, this is where you come into the story today. I'd really love you to add some color here, because in the States and in North America generally, Tesla is painted, perceived, believed to be the end-all, be-all major EV automaker and public charging provider as well in a lot of ways. But this really isn't the case in every other part of the world. So can you maybe help give a bit of an overview of the state of the e European EV market as you know it, including what you've seen in the way of the key automaker players and the key public charging players and the way that it differs from what most of our audience, or at least what I'm used to in North America? Yeah, so over here, charging. CCS2, it's very different to CCS1. It has the same letters in the title, but it is, it's a very, it, it, it's a similar plug, but it is, it, it, quite substantially different so the reliability problems we don't have that you have so sure we find chargers that aren't reliable or maybe have been derated or maybe there's a, an engineer on the way to fix them or a tech on the way out but we don't have this huge problem that you're having which has led to the north american charging standard which has led to a huge criticism of, of ea which i don't get to experience but i read about it and obviously i'm you know, i'm following all the work that you you know you guys do and 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 we have a generally more robust charging network the tesla supercharging network has rolled out in Europe as much as it has in the US and China as well. And so that was always uh, the difference many years ago was that we were putting in, say, five years ago, Europe and the UK, we were putting in two char one one fifty kilowatt charger, two fifty kilowatt chargers. And yet Tesla drivers were rocking on up to stalls of 
eight or ten or twelve or fourteen. So yeah, it's not you know it's not Kettleman, but we we don't and also we don't see queues. So again, you know around holiday time, I find it interesting that I see a lot of Tesla drivers very frustrated that there's a queuing system in place or there's you know some some frayed nerves and things like that. But we just don't see queuing yet because Tesla is just not that much of a bigger deal in the U.S. It's been 60 70 something percent it's just fallen down to about 50 percent but come on that's half of your new car market it's just enormous the ev market in the us is tesla it is defined by tesla hey the number one selling car over here is the model y so in terms of the headline it's still tesla but in terms of the market share percentage we're talking more like teens you know 10 percent, 15 percent, according to what country you go to just because there's so much more choice of electric vehicles over here uh, there's the chinese cars as well. we're getting loads of chinese cars coming in and i can talk about those if you want now or later on the podcast and so we have a much wider choice but tesla of course have been here you know you go back 10 years, and you could have a Renault Zoe, a Nissan Leaf, or a Tesla. And whilst we don't feel as loved at the minute in the UK because you can't get a Model S or an X that's now been removed from sale, it's a real shame because I think they would sell, not in mega numbers, and of course then you've got to re-engineer it for right-hand drive, so simply not available. But we do get the Model 3 Highland already before you guys, so... You know, I guess it swings and roundabouts, but I guess, uh, you know, you go back a little while and we we felt very loved. I remember those events on a small stage in a car park somewhere where Elon Musk would turn up and 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 say a few words on stage and unveil the, the Model S and there'd be a handful of hardy souls out in the rain and uh, it's sort of little, uh, you know, I'm imagining a, a, you know, a weekend food festival there's a musical turn on or something you know a guy with a guitar and it's one of those little stages in the corner and that would be elon musk on that being like oh hey uh buy our model s and how the world has changed you can't go anywhere like getting mobbed anymore so i remember those events and they uh, we felt very loved uh, in terms of here in the uk and in europe as well a, a little less important now because uh it like you say it the, it, the company is huge and they sold five million vehicles but europe's still a fifth of that so Tesla's a very big deal. Model Y is a very big deal. It's not like your US viewers and listeners might think if you look at your own market. You you bring up the main points that I've also seen in like the comments as well when we talk about the difficulties we have with reliability and then switching standards. You know, it's supposed to be standardized, but we're able to switch it. Other folks can comment and be like, what is going on in North America? Over here, we've been solid on our connectors, our standards for a while now. So uh, you do highlight that key difference, which is the connectors are, it was just aligned more in Europe. And then we had just the technology that came along a bit differently in the US. And you also point to the different options that consumers have when buying an EV. And we're seeing that get better and better in North America. And we are seeing how that is probably influencing the fact that more people are adopting EVs into their lives because there are more options out there, which means there's possibly more affordable options or just options that better fit their needs, whether they have a family or they just didn't want to go Tesla, they wanted other options. We've seen that play in. So driving around in America, yeah, you see Teslas, you can spot a Rivian with its headlights, and sometimes you can see mm -hmm. other models too. But what can folks expect to see in terms of EVs? Like you mentioned, you have a lot of Chinese uh, automakers that are making making EVs that come over to Europe. But yeah, can you paint a picture of what you see on the streets in Europe? Oh, a little bit US? of everything. The Stellantis right. cars are a big deal. So, you know, Ram sits under Stellantis, and that's a brand you have. And Jeep, of course, that's a big brand that you have. Jeep isn't a thing here. They, uh, 
Jeep have dealerships, but their market share is so tiny. They're using EVs as a way of rebooting Jeep here. Jeep has, I think Jeep has a pretty good reputation, by the way, or should I say perception? That's a better word. You know, we think of Jeeps as being something that you would drive into the battlefield in World War II or something. You know, we, we you see it as a capable off-road. You know, obviously we have rain, homegrown Range Rovers and Land Rovers in this country, and, and so we, but we think of Jeep like that. So I think Jeep will reboot their image in uh, using that, that good perception they have. It's not a broken brand over here, for instance, uh, in the way that uh, some others would be. But yeah, the Chinese cars are the big one, as you mentioned. Things like the iways You don't get the iways U5, the U6. Um, the BYD cars, you don't get the Dolphin. And that's you know, that's great. It's got like a 60-kilowatt-hour battery and costs £30,000, maybe €35,000 in Germany. And the BYD Han is sort of the big saloon sedan one, which has got the 85-kilowatt-hour battery. Went on sale this year. The one I guess a lot of people are talking about is the BYD Seal. That's the uh, Model 3 competitor. Really fantastic interior on that. Great choice of materials. Big 82, 83 kilowatt hour battery. Fantastic performance. Loads of range on that as well. 500 kilometers range. So these uh, th- these BYD cars that you can get your your hands on over here are a big deal because BYD is a you know massive company making plug-in hybrids as well. But surely the uh, uh, the the Bevs do good business over here. And the BYD Tang, which is the uh, more expensive, more premium um, uh, SUV. So uh, you've got that uh, vehicle, which again, 86, 87 kilowatt hour battery in that. Not as much range, but really high performance. Four and a half seconds, not to 62 miles an hour. And then we've got all the, the Stellantis vehicles. So the sort of the Citroëns, the Opals, and the Vauxhalls, because here they're branded as, as Vauxhall. Uh, but Citroën, you've got the EC3, which is coming. Small city car. And I'm always told, like, oh, Americans won't buy these small city cars because uh, everyone's driving a Ford F-150 and listening to country music and uh you know drinking moonshine on the back of their truck and i'm like come on there's massive uh it's just it's just it's a silly stupid thing that people say to me about america it's like you've got these huge urban areas on the coasts that particularly that i think would love these small cars like little citroen ec3 but anyway it's gonna be a twenty thousand pound car twenty two twenty three thousand pound euro car when that goes on sale early next year but the ec4 as well and they've got the um uh the kind of people carriers and the vans it's called the e-jumpy and uh the space tourers so again uh if you want to go for that stellantis brand they've got loads of vans small cars city cars you don't get the coopers which is a shame I don't, you you don't get the cooper i don't think so. um because that's the id3 which you also don't get um but with the styling sorted out and it's really good Tavascan is coming this year as well before the end of the year i think uh, which is the big high performance one five seconds north to 60 and big big range on that we should mention the dacia spring the dacia spring is europe's cheapest vehicle it charges incredibly slowly until the mazda mx30 came out it was the slowest dc fast charging uh, it's like a 35 kilowatt peak charge fee or something the dacia spring uh, but it costs twenty thousand euros and so it's got a 25 kilowatt hour battery there is a big battery version if not now then it's coming uh, but it's that's not the point of the vehicle the point is to 
urban get around young perhaps uh people who don't care about the dachia brand uh it's all renault bits inside anyway we get the new fiat 500e you got the original one as a compliance car we get the new uh redesigned one ground up you look at the outside body shot it's the fiat 500 but it's a ground up ev redesign with the big 42 kilowatt hour battery you don't get that in the 500e as well which is you know slightly bigger 600 e uh and the fiats i've mentioned any of the fiats uh, so you, there's all these choices of, of vehicles in various different uh, shapes, sizes, form factors. I must mention the MGs because, uh, I, well, I own one. I own the original MG ZS EV with the 44 kilowatt hour battery. It's in the driveway behind this wall. Um, we don't really use it very much. I've had a couple of years. Uh, I'm just really rubbish at selling cars. Quite good at buying cars. <laughs> really bad at selling them. I need to get much better at selling cars. And so they have, It's of course, MG, classic British mark, which went the way of the Chinese. And a lot of people, particularly perhaps I would say of a more ge- a mature generation, think of MG as a British badge. And they're doing really well. MG UK doing fantastic. MG Europe are doing really well. There's the MG4, which is the ID3 golf-sized car. And it's not that it's incredible specs, although it's a gr- it drives really well. Fantastic chassis on that. And it's got a 77-kilowatt-hour battery on the long range. It's just a brilliant vehicle. And it starts at 25000 and you don't get this car. And no wonder I see so many of them around. Uh, so, yeah, the ZSEV, which I've got, the MG5, that's the estate wagon, if you want to call it that. MG even make the X-Power version of the MG4, which does 0-60 in 3.8 seconds. It's crazy fast, and it's, it's, uh, it's, just, a, it's just a brilliant vehicle. Uh, and there's the new ZS. So I've got the old ZSEV behind me, and that is the new... There's a new one of those as well. It's all about the price with those. We should mention Neo because we haven't mentioned Neo yet. And and those Chinese cars are here, not in the UK, but uh, those ET5s, ET7s, they're here in uh, in Europe. The Aura Funky Cat, <clears throat> that's expensive. They they go big money on that, and and they're not. I don't think they're selling too many of them. But it's really interesting, uh, the Auras. Um, and yeah, back to the Stellantis cars. You got the uh, you got the Peugeots as well, or Peugeots, mm-hmm. which again the E. There's so many of them. E3008, that's more of a family, slightly raised vehicle. It's not an SUV, more of a kind of crossover-y style. I don't know any of these segments. They, they all just mix up in my brain now. Uh, but the E308, which is a legendary uh, badge nameplate on Peugeot's. E208, again, the 208 is a legendary uh, name on that. And that's gone all electric with a 46, 48 kilowatt hour battery. And so there's some fantastic small European city cars. I also had a Renault Zoe. I had two Renault Zoes. The first one, AC charging, 22 kilowatt hour battery. God, I had that years ago. And that was brilliant. Forgetting it's just like a go-kart. It was awesome. And then I had the Renault's, I'd got another Renault Zoe that the 41 kilowatt hour battery, AC charging, no DC charging on that. It just didn't matter. We always charged it at home. And when you went on a road trip, it had 22 kilowatt AC charging. So if we did a big road trip in it, if it went long distance, we just found a 22 kilowatt AC post. And it was not that onerous. You get a you know a 44 kilowatt hour battery. It recharges reasonably quickly if you're off doing your shopping or getting a cup of tea. But you know the Renault Megane, the new Renault Megane, I see loads of those uh, around actually. And there and and again, the you don't get the Renaults sadly. And so what from VW don't you get? You don't get the ID3. Do you get the ID5? You get the ID4 obviously, but do you get the ID5. I don't think so. 
I'm Maybe not sure. I know that Kyle got behind the wheel of one, but I'm, I know it wasn't in the U.S. for sure. So I'm yeah. not exactly sure. But I mean, your list is there's so many options on there and the price points that you've mentioned are quite affordable when that is one of the major factors standing in the way of people adopting an EV into their life is that it is just totally out of their budget. And there also might be other hesitations they have that is caused by, you know, the rocky roads that we've had in North America. So I think that's one really important thing to highlight is that there is so much competition in the market to provide competitively priced and uh, EVs in general that suffice for the needs that people have. And you mentioned a lot of the commuting and that there's this market belief that, yeah, the bigger, the better in the U.S. in terms of not only the size of the vehicle, but also the battery. And of course, we want efficiency and range and, you know, I mean, the great technology within them. But yeah, why toss these smaller options, the commuter options, the options that are just literally easier to park when you're in an urban setting off? We shouldn't throw them away. But it is it is something standing in the way over here. And aside from the electric vehicles that are just on the market, in, in your opinion, how has Europe positioned itself as a leader in the EV space for EV adoption? And what factors besides the great market of competition of EVs have contributed, do you think, to the region's success in this regard? I think just the uh, the choice that we've got and uh, the extra availability of these vehicles, which are pretty much all available now. So it wasn't that long ago that there was a wait list on a lot of electric vehicles, but I think they've done a really good job of making sure that when you walk into a dealership now or you go online or whatever, the vehicles are available in a, a really decent time frame and there's been some missteps don't get me wrong uh, some of the chinese cars that kind of came over here and tried different uh, models was the neos i think you're gonna i'm gonna if i get this wrong i'm very sorry i think it was the neos in germany they didn't sell those you had to subscribe to them and other germans went um no. Nine! So, uh, okay, we'll sell you one. We'll sell It's fine. And there's, there's a bit of a bumpy start. Um, and then the Zikas and the X-Pungs that have come over here, like the Zika 001, uh, the Zika X, the X-Pung P7, uh, the G9, that's the SUV, they are not the cheapest cars. So they're not coming, the Chinese cars there, like, unlike the MGs, they're not coming in with £20,000 cars. They're coming in with £70,000 cars or 60,000 euro cars so they've done it differently mg have come in and gone well here is a brilliant family car that will get you everywhere you need to go for 25 grand and then the stellantis cars nearly always that's changing a bit but until now have had 50 kilowatt hour batteries and 50 kilowatt motors on one axle and mm -hmm. 100 and 100 kilowatt dc fast charging like, that is not any spec to blow you out of the water. That's all the spec we need. And it get, it keeps the price really low. And that's my always my advice to anyone, uh, particularly in the US, that thinks I couldn't have a car that can do 200 miles of range or 210 miles of range. Because, you know, at Thanksgiving, I've got to do a 1,000-mile road trip. And people get shocked when I, when I say, just go to Hertz and hire a petrol car. If, that's, if, that's, if it's one time a year and you don't want to trouble yourself with EA or queuing on Thanksgiving or whatever, just hire a combustion car. Like, this is the year 2023. No one's going to hit you over the head for doing that. You know, in, in 20 years' time, maybe. But now, if one road trip a year to go see family, to do a 2,000-mile road trip, like, it's, 
it's a few hundred miles from the bottom of our country to the top before I get wet in either direction. We can't leave the island. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is a small, <laughs> geographically a small country. So how big a battery do you want until I have to get either on a ferry or the Eurostar and get onto mainland Europe? Like, we physically can't go that far. And so that's part of it as well. Infrastructure is very good. Also, the European Union, of which obviously mm -hmm. the UK isn't part of the European Union, but we are part of Europe, as it were. Uh, so uh, they, the regulators got firmly behind CCS2. So Tesla's come with CCS2. All cars come with CCS2. There's no debate. I was talking to, the, to a very senior person at a very large charging company recently, and, uh, and he said, I um, can't wait to see the timeline on NAX in Europe. And I sort of lost my breath a bit. I said, it's never happening. And he is infinitely far more intelligent than I am, more finger on the pulse. He signs off budgets that are very large. And he said, yes, NACs will happen in Europe. I said, hang on a minute. So we had a good old rough and tumble conversation. And I, I respectfully said, you know, it's his business actually. Charging is his business. I, I absolutely think you're wrong. I can't ever see NACs coming here. He said, 100% it will. Europe will follow the US. Every charge will be ripped out of the ground. Every car will change. I'm like, whoa, hang on a minute. I don't agree with that, but I don't know much anyway. So um, That's so interesting. I, I was like, no way. Everything's CCS2. And it just works. All the cars are, the charges are, it just works. And right. so and the infrastructure, it's all very interconnected. Like all of the charging networks, and there's loads of charging networks. So, you know, we talk about the US, and you can go, well, EA and you charge point and EV, EVgo and a few more. And you're like, over here, there's just hundreds of networks. And they tend to all be tied together. So there's loads of umbrella networks, whether it's I use one. So Octopus Energy, big energy company, now global energy company, started here in the UK. They're in Texas now and a few places in the US, I think. I have them for my home electric. And I just get a, it was a card, I haven't got it on me. It was a physical card at one point, like a tap RFID card. Mm -hmm. Now it's just an, on my phone, I tap it or I start it. <clears throat> And it's, it goes on my home electricity bill. And they've just got all of the charging networks under their umbrella. Wow. And, but there's loads. Like, all the car companies have their own... I forget all the names because it's always like, you know, Vauxhall Charge and stuff. And right. it's not called that. But all the car companies think they need to provide their buyers with a solution. And maybe they do. I don't know. Um, and But everything's tied together. There's very few networks that aren't under all these umbrellas. And so, mm -hmm. with my apps, I just have one app now. And they're all pretty much on the map. And I just know that I can get my phone out and I can start a charge because they're all connected charges. And at the end of the month, it adds onto my home electricity bill, which is great because all of my energy to heat my house, to heat my hot water, to travel my miles, all on one bill. So for me, it's very convenient. But yes. um, loads of you know, loads of apps do it or, or whatever. And, and, and of course, we also have, because people are saying, oh, the... Tesla V4 superchargers that we first saw rolling out in Europe, in Austria, in, in France, etc., um, didn't have the screen of uh, the, the card reader on. Uh, and I think the ones, the V4s in the US, I think do have the card readers. Uh, but the UK ones that went in did. And people were saying, well, why is that? Well, there's a, a, a law here that you can't have an open charging network. That's why they've never cracked down on Tesla before, because it was a closed network. Mm -hmm. But you can't have an open charging network that you then have to require either a membership or a sign-up or an app or whatever. So that's that's one of the laws that we have. It has to be like buying gas. So and that's a, that's a, a great bit of legislation. So it's not difficult. You don't have to turn up and sign up to something and do this and hopefully you've got mobile signal. You know that if you go to a charger, you can tap this or your watch or your whatever, 
and you just buy your energy. So there's lots of little reasons, I think, but they all add up together to make a pretty seamless EV driving experience. Right. I would say it's an interconnected web that works together very well. It's comprehensive. There is harmony between the moving pieces where I think over here we have a bit more fragmentation and it can be very frustrating no matter what part of the experience with EVs that you are on. So very, very interesting. And I would love to go over and drive an EV around and compare it to my experience here. I know, of course, Kyle has been lucky enough to do that, but to really be able to see how different it is, because it's hard to understand if this is all I know, and that's what you know, where's the disconnect? So thank you for diving into those details there in terms of why the successes have been there. And I would like to ask, what you think have been the biggest challenges that have faced the European EV industry? I know that you touched a little bit on automakers coming in and kind of trying things and maybe it wasn't the most successful, of course, affordability and kind of the um, commuter vehicle. You make a good point about, I wish we had more trains over here, but like if you need to go far distance, find another option. If you're going to be just driving your daily commute, get an EV if it works for you. Don't worry about that one trip you take a year every two years. Um, But yeah, what are the unique challenges that have faced the European electric vehicle industry that maybe have been uh, even, you know, succeeded over so far? I genuinely think one of them was the car makers that were early were the ones that came with new nameplates. And that came with a huge education. And one of the breakthrough moments for me was getting my wife an EV. I know, sample size of one, very dangerous. But it was a a personal experience I had. She uh, didn't particularly want an EV. She was very happy with her diesel Golf. And I said, let's just get you something that 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 you're happy with driving. She's not, there's no fun for her in driving. Mobility is a place, the destination is where she's going. Now, for some of us, we'll go out and have a drive. And if you live somewhere beautiful like Kyle does in Colorado and you've got access to uh, the mountains and after some trails and stuff, even better. But, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, some people will go for a drive because they enjoy the journey. That is, no, it's my wife, it's about getting there. She does not care what she drives or, like, we, you know, we, we learned to drive when there were things like, it, obviously everything was manual and, uh, you know, pull out the choke halfway when it's really cold and she's like, what is this? Why can't I just go forwards and backwards? So, of course, I put her in an EV and you press a button that says on and then you go forwards and backwards and she's like well this makes sense why haven't cars been like this forever yes we'll buy one of i'll have one of those so i think uh you know that is an education job with people because early evs obviously tesla were very early here and uh we got the original roadster of course in right hand drive and there was the renault zoe and nissan leaf now the leaf looked kind of funky zoe looked kind of normal but I wish that they'd done now what they were doing 10 years ago. And I get why VW did the ID thing, and I totally understand it. And I probably would have done the same thing facing what they faced at that point in time when they had to make a decision. Let's not kill our combustion business, because the combustion business is making all the money and that's going to, that's it, you know, it's startups is tough, but also established car companies. Everyone's got it tough, right? And so. Let's not kill, uh, let's let's not Osborne our own business and say this latest, greatest thing is better. Don't buy the old thing. And I get why they did that, but I just wish they'd just come with, and there was an e-golf and there still is an e-golf. It's very good. And so the golf isn't an amazing name. Just call it 
the Golf Electric or the E Golf, and then instead we've got IDs, ID buzzes, mm-hmm. and things, and, and ID letters, and and only now have we seen a lot of the car companies go. Well, hang on a minute. We've always had a Renault Twingo. Let's have a Twingo electric. We've always had a Renault Megane. Mm-hmm. Let's have the Megane E-Tech. We've mm-hmm. always had the Peugeot E208. Legendary name. Let's have the E208. And so uh, I think in the last couple of years, a lot of the car companies have gone, well, let's let's not fight. Because you know what? The Chinese coming in that are really cheap and they're coming in with things. But MG came in with MG, which everyone knows here, at least in the UK, what an MG is. And we're like, oh, cool. Okay, I know what MG is. Mm-hmm. And And so... Yeah, I think I would love to have seen the car companies go, we have this thing and we have this thing. And you can have it in diesel or petrol or electric. It'll all make you go forwards and backwards and get you to where you want to go. And if you want the electric one, that's cool. And if you want the diesel one, that's cool. And it's all called the same thing. So I think there was a huge education issue. To answer your question, education. Because not only are you telling people that it's this 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 magical woo-woo uh, electric car thing and... It's not like your mobile phone where the battery's crud after two years and uh, it doesn't take four days to charge. So you're, you're fighting all of that anyway at the beginning and then you're coming with new names. Yeah. I think it really hurt. I think it really hurt. So uh, now that a lot of that's changing, the car companies have really got their, their head around how to market EVs. That was a big thing. The marketing, the explanations, mm-hmm. how it was sold. It wasn't great. No, I can totally see your point. I mean, introducing something novel to people and calling it something unfamiliar. It's already unfamiliar. There's headlines about this or that that are going to, you know, be the the buzz words that might not even be wholly accurate. And then add that on top. Yeah, too much unknown. As we know in the EV space, a lot of our viewers, and I'm sure your audience too, has a solid foundation that they're working with. But typically, you have to really work to educate yourself in this space. And it's not really superly or superly. It's not really superly accessible. And there's not a general knowledge on this where like, typically people know how cars work, right? They go, you put gas in and they go. It should probably be as simple as that. So you make a great point where there, it was already going to be an interesting thing to introduce a whole new technology into the way that people spend a lot of their time in their cars, getting around, doing the things that are most important to them, and introduce a whole new technology in there. So I, very good point, I think, Martin. And I want to kind of start to round out with why you think it is important to consider a global lens in the EV space. Of course, we could, you know, you're, you are living where you live and you know that, about that well, but we also both take, we look into what's happening globally. But is it, what do you think is the significance really in taking that global perspective and making sure that we're aware on all levels what's going on across the world in terms of EVs, EV charging, and this technology in general? Yeah, so that is such a great question to finish off with because if you cast your mind back not so many years, if you were buying the new iPhone, you had to make sure you got the one that would work in your country. And if you're buying a DVD, uh, what region was it? If you're going to a uh, you know, car boot sale, do you have car boot sales in America? It's Maybe it's a very British thing. If you're going to a you know like a garage sale, right? Oh, and so uh, mm-hmm. you know you're going to, and you're buying a DVD. This isn't some dodgy American one, is it? From a different region. When you get it home, and your DVD player won't play. So you know we've been through all of that in VHS and Betamax and all that. So interoperability is very important. 
you know, moving forward. The car makers need clarity because they're working on 10, 15, 20-year timescales. They need politicians that make their mind up and stick with it and don't just try and win votes in the short term. The CFOs are largely, I think, apolitical. They just need to know what's the direction. And half the time, they don't really care, to be honest with you, because they just want to make money. And that's why I think in our future, we're going to have Shell and BP and Total and they'll be the big names in 20 years, like they are now. Not mm. because they love oil, because they really, 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 really love gas, because they're really good at making money. And I think they've already worked out, okay, well, it's got, the world is going somewhere, and we'll ride it, because we're good at making money and delivering value to our shareholders. Uh, and at the minute, that's you know dirty, disgusting, polluting products, and I think they'll end up all being renewable businesses in the future one day, because they're really good at making... And that's, the car companies just want to make great products, make money, deliver value to their shareholders. So mm-hmm. give them a clear direction of travel and don't mess around with it to win votes. So I think give a clear standard. And yeah, that could be North America, NAX. Europe, CCS2. China and Japan, Xiaoji, Chadamo 3, right? So that could be, that's it, with three plugs. And that's fine. Car makers can put, can handle that, right? So... For trucking, I'd love to see the megawatt charging standard just everywhere. And that's a CCS charring leg thing. Still not ratified. I mean, I guess standards are tough. I guess standards take a long time and expensive. But as of recording this, no solution on that. Tesla have gone, well, we'll do our own thing then, as Tesla always do. Like, we've got a better solution that's more elegant. We'll run with that, thanks. And everyone followed them with NACs. So I'd like commercial situations to have more clarity it's going to be a big thing over the next few years as we clean up these vehicles that do maybe 20 percent of the road miles but cause 80 percent of the pollution we've got to get uh these these working vehicles that some of them drive 24 hours a day or work 24 hours a day and stop mm-hmm. 45 minutes and charge and so we've got to clean those up and just have a clear set of of rules and not be not laden it with saving and if you want to save the planet that's all fine, and it wasn't my reason for buying an EV, and it's absolutely the right thing to do. They don't drive past a kid's primary school in the playground uh, with a disgusting vehicle, and you're giving people, you know, awful illnesses. I won't get too dark here, but like that's the, that's the truth of driving combustion vehicles, and it's an inconvenient truth. Um, you know, sticking our kids on school buses where the, the air quality inside is just as bad as what's coming out the tailpipe. And people think, well, hang on, the exhaust just goes backwards or sidewards. But actually, no, the air quality inside diesel vehicles, yellow school buses, is pretty horrific. And we're putting our kid, you know, US kids on these vehicles. So let's get the, everything electric that we can. Let's not preach. Let's let the 5% that don't suit electric carry on. I'm not worried about that. Let's go motor racing with combustion stuff or whatever. Let's have outlying cases. Uh, burn things let's not try and tell everyone that you know for if if somebody wants to drive a diesel truck in 20 years time let them but once most people drive an ev and realize it's better it's quicker it's it's quieter for people who drive for a living so much research now on people who drive for a living when they drive the electric version of their truck or their van less vibrations it's easier to drive more responsive much better air quality uh that they're breathing these people are happier. Like, why 
Would we? Why? It, some people are so wedded to diesel, or com- that, that they say, "Oh, I hate electric cars because they're, they're taking away my diesel truck." No, we're not. Carrot, just keep it. You mm-hmm. you crack on. But for the people who are being negatively affected, let's not. You know, you, you do you, and we'll provide everyone else with hopefully enough information and research where they can make their own decisions. So, let's get there as quick as possible. Let's not worry about the outlying cases, and uh, and and then we can and then we can just all move on from this debate that we're having about how quickly we should do it and things like that. The answer is immediately. The technology is there now. I thank you so much. I think that was a great summary of how you feel about this. And of course, there are the environmental and quality of life, not only the quality of the air you're breathing and sound pollution, but also literally the quality of life that is improved when we go electric uh, across the world. And it is a global movement, right? So there's a lot of things that we can learn. You know, to the states, we look at, wow, California is kind of this case study of how we're going to really enact this large scale and then sprinkle it throughout the U.S. But there are other countries with their own goals, their own regulations that they're having to meet and it is the way that we're going so i do have some frustration sometimes when it's just why can't we move there faster and i think taking lessons from anywhere that we can get them and applying them is very important and you do make also a great point that there are businesses whatever their mission is out there that are running extremely extremely well they know how to run a business they know how to make it happen if and if that's the approach we need to take of course business can be a force for good then, of course, putting those people in charge of these plans, because there's also a lot of mission-driven people that are leading these causes, and they are brilliant and smart, and then also recruiting the folks who just know what to do, who are the workhorses who have done it before, is also really important. So, yeah, thank you for your perspective, Martin. It really is, I I, I love to hear it. Um, I love, <laughs> you know, your podcast, and also on the Batteries Included, you had a really interesting take. You've had a lot of time in this space, and I appreciate you coming on and sharing your opinion and your experience on why the global perspective is significant in the EV space and also what you've collected in your knowledge over the years. Well, I would love to come back and do a whole show on where the next decade is going in terms of where our cars and batteries are going to be made. Can't have the conversation now. We're out of time. But uh, we should probably get an economist, someone who's got much more of a brain than I have, and I can just rant and say and stupid things and interject. But t- t- that's going to be the next story of the next 10 years, of where our cars and batteries are going to be made because the world is getting smaller. America has closed its doors, uh, and I'd probably do the same. hate to say it with the Inflation Reduction Act. China's been doing it forever, and now Europe has just gone, oh, we think we might need to put some tariffs on these Chinese cars. Everyone's closing their doors, and so there's an argument that the globalization allows you to get the cheapest stuff from around the world, and, uh, and it spreads technology, and it moves humanity on quicker globalization can be seen and i'm no economist i'm just making this stuff up uh but uh but but look at the way we're going which is everyone's closing their doors and closing the shutters and and locking the doors and going now nah, you gotta it's gotta be made here and china's been doing it forever by the way so mm-hmm. this is no this is no value call on on the u.s like i say if i was biden i'd do the same yeah, it really uh, does to make fight sense. Fight China. So that's a whole nother show that I'd love to do with you sometimes. Um, I would love to too. I think that's the- going to be the story. That's the big story of the next ten years. Yeah, and you know, apparently, Nax might come to Europe. I don't over. believe it. 
The trouble is, this guy was so senior that I was talking to. And he was like, no, I trust me, it's kind of... I'm like, I can't believe it! You're blowing my mind! Max is never coming here. What does he know that we don't know? I mean, that would also be a shock to me. And I would, of course, love to dive into that topic with you. And also, yeah, the life cycle of EVs. Not only where we're making them, but how we're going to be recycling their materials and all the above it is a very very interesting future to ideate about but also hopefully we project it and predict it in a good enough way where we can be proactive and not reactive as it has kind of been in recent history <laughs> so yeah thank you again for coming on i would love to have you on again soon viewers if you enjoy and listeners if you enjoy the podcast like ask questions below if you have questions for martin hopefully he can come into the comments and answer them as well of course check out all of his work with ev news daily batters included podcast and motorsport great person great resource thank you again so much for coming on to the out of spec podcast and folks we will see you again next time Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.